0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. The first week of the series, we went back to our foundation at what we birthed this church on. We realized the importance of being a life giving church, that we are to eat from the tree of life, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life, the fruit of that tree is grace, mercy, and forgiveness. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is shame, it's blame, it's bitterness. And the older that a church becomes, the greater the potential for them to live in that shame or, in, or, or to cast blame or to operate out of bitterness. And the warning that Jesus warned the church of, of Ephesus about in his letter in Revelation was, be careful what you eat. It's the same warning that he's telling us, be careful. Be careful. Be careful what you partake of, because if you eat from the wrong fruit, you will bear the wrong fruit. Last week, I told you that the local church has become the dining room table in the kingdom of God. It's there at the dining room table and here at the dining room table where we get to know each other. It's where we have intimate conversations with understanding people. It's here where spiritual birthdays are celebrated. It's here where we spoon feed the young in Christ and the more mature Christians offer guidance and direction. It's here where we have to have uncomfortable conversations and problems are dealt with. We don't run from them. We, we tackle them. We, we, we do it in, in, in the right way according to Ephesians 4. If, if we can speak the truth in love, then it helps each other mature in Christ. That's how we do it. Sitting at the dining room table with each other in Matthew chapter 9 We found Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors And there was a question that I told you that every church must ask itself and it's this question Who's invited to the table? Who are we inviting to the table and here at DCC? We have intentionally prepared an environment for people of all races and all walks of life And we have continued to expand our table to reach more and more people I like to refer to us as a smorgasbord of believers. That's what we are here at DCC. We are a smorgasbord of believers. And and then we had this beautiful time of communion together at the end of our last service. I grew up in a pastor's home. The needs were always met. The church was good to, to our family growing up. The church was good to us. God was great to us, because even when my dad pastored smaller churches at times, the needs were always met, and we never went without. We always had food, we always had shelter, and we always had clothes on our backs. It may not have always been the clothes that we wanted, but we always had clothes on our backs. But we were never able to afford some of the finer things in life, like country club memberships. I had some friends in school and their parents were country club members, but it wasn't on our radar. It didn't seem to bother us too much. We just never thought that much about it. And then as we began to get older and, and, and becoming young adults, I, uh, my brothers, my, my father and I, we, we started playing golf together. We took up the game of golf. And, and, and so we would always visit golf courses. We were never members of a golf course. You realize that if you are not a member of that golf course, you are visiting that golf course. And so we would play golf courses all over North Florida and, and, and sometimes other places, but we were never members. And, and then one day... One day it happened. It was a beautiful thing. One Christmas morning, my sister-in-law gave my brother a country club membership at Lake City Country Club. What were those people thinking? You don't want a bunch of McKinleys out on the golf course. Why would you want them at your golf course regularly? I mean, this just wouldn't work. I mean, you know, there's, there's certain golf etiquette, you know, and, and some of my brothers were showing up in their jorts. Jeans that are shorts, you know, shorts, and, and it just wasn't proper protocol, you know, and so they they allowed w- one of us McKinleys to become a member, and so with that membership there were perks, and so we would uh, we would now get to, to have or, or have a round of golf at a discount as long as we were with my brother we could we could play at discounted prices, we could eat in their their clubhouse, uh, and we would receive a discount when we would eat there. Uh, we never took advantage of it, but you could use the clubhouse for, for parties and, and things like that. They had a swimming pool. And, and now, as long as our, my brother was with us, we now could, could swim in the, the country club swimming pool now. So there were perks with it. Recently, Pastor Andrew and myself, we met with the officers of the construction management company that is building our, our new facility, our new church, and they asked us to meet them at one of the more elite courses here in the Gainesville area. And so we met them for lunch, for, for lunch and a meeting, and uh, I won't bore you with all the details of the meeting, but I'll tell you this, the food was very impressive. I, I remember I got this, this buffalo chicken wrap that was just phenomenal. It was, it was absolutely great. How many of you are hungry right now, yeah? yeah. Imagine second service we're getting close to, you know So second service that they're really going to be hungry when I'm telling this but but it was it was good food and and so we ended our meeting and and uh, the, the following Sunday after church Mandy and I got into my Jeep and and we decided that we were going to head into Gainesville to eat well I said Mandy we should go to to this particular golf course And, and, and we should go to their restaurant there I said the food was really good And so we're heading that direction, and en route, I thought to myself, let me just call and make sure that they're open. And so I called the golf course, and and, uh, while I was on the phone with them, sure enough, they were open, but they informed me that you had to be a member to eat at their restaurant. I didn't want to play golf. I just wanted to eat. And they would not allow us to eat at their restaurant because we were not members. So Mandy and I ended up going to BurgerFi. It's more our style anyway, probably. Becoming a member of a country club, it has its perks. Unfortunately, too many people see church membership the same way. What can I get out of it? If I become a member of, of your church what can your church do for me? What can it do for me? So they look for the perfect church for whatever season of life that they are in that can cater to that season. That's why at DCC, we have always referred to the church membership as covenant membership. We've always said, from the beginning, it's been covenant membership. We are in covenant with each other. That means there's no one person that is greater than any other person in this church. It means that we are all called to serve, not to be served. I want you to ask yourself this morning, am I serving this church or am I being served by this church? Since the beginning, we have been blessed at DCC with people who are just willing to serve. As I told you last night, Nearly 150 of those volunteers showed up here for, for our, our annual dinner, and it was, it was a great time. But we've always been blessed with people who have been willing to serve. Before we launched DCC, our core group had grown from 15 to about 35 people. We'd never had a Sunday service, but now we had about 35 people in our core group, and we were just meeting on Wednesday nights. And so, Just a couple of weeks out from our launch service, we had set the date for September the 3rd, 2006, Labor Day weekend. We're idiots. I don't know why you launch a church on Labor Day weekend, but we did it. We did it. And so we set the date for September the 3rd, 2006, and so for a couple of weeks, we began handing out job descriptions to those 35 people, and we began training them. You're going to be a greeter, and here's here's a job description of what that looks like. And here's what we want you to do. And so we, we allowed them to become a greeter. Here, you're going to be an usher. Here's your job description. You're going to take care of children in the nursery. And so here's your job description. You're going to work in children's church. Here's your job description. You're going to be on the media team. You're going to be on the sound team. You're going to be on the praise team. And so we were, we were assigning out duties to these 35 people and we launched Now we were ready for people, we were, we were ready for people to show up. We had no idea if they were going to show up, but we were ready for them to show up. To whom much is given, much is required. And so we were ready, as a church we were ready, and they showed up, 101 people showed up at our first service, and then we grew it to about 70 from there. People were always willing to serve and there was this excitement in the air because people were showing up and suddenly we realized that, that our efforts were not in vain. People want to be a part of this and, and, and they continued to show up and that excitement continued in our volunteers. It continued to our first family fest on Halloween night 2006. It was in the parking area next to the, the student center over there. That one little small parking area, that, that's where it was confined to. And people showed up. We had little booths set up for little games. And we didn't have much money to do anything with. But, but man, we did our very best with it. That excitement continued to our first Easter egg hunt the next spring. And we couldn't, we couldn't leave it over there for very long. Our first Easter egg hunt was across the street at the student center. The next year, we moved it across the street to the lawn that's in between us here at the middle school and, and the student center. And we, 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 we grew it. But man, there was an excitement there at that first Easter egg hunt. And then we had our first VBS and our first full summer here. And we were excited. We were exhausted by the end of it because we went hard. For about 10 months, we went hard just trying to grow this church. And there was this excitement and enthusiasm. And it sets the tone for a growing church. And we had it. We did. We had that excitement. We had that enthusiasm. But the worst enemy of enthusiasm is time. Time seems to take its toll on enthusiasm. People in general, we just get tired of wonderful things, and we don't even realize it. Everybody in this room, each and every one of you, you can think of something that was wonderful when you first experienced it, and then you grew tired of it later. The enthusiasm for that wore off. It could be your favorite sandwich you remember that time that you went to that sandwich shop and and man They made that sandwich and it was your favorite sandwich You've never had a sandwich that was any better than that when you first tried it It was the best sandwich you had ever had in your entire life, but over time You grow tired of it. it It could be that new car when you first got that car you drove it off the lot brand new sparkling shiny It smelled wonderful But you let somebody open their car door and ding that car the first time and and suddenly the kids start riding in the back seat and it loses that new car smell. And you're not as in love with that car as you once were. You don't wash it every week like you once did. It was great. But you don't have the same enthusiasm as you did once. It happens with our jobs. You know, you can land your dream job And in just a few years, lose interest in it. It no longer scratches the itch. It happens with relationships. And yes, it even happens with churches. It always amazes me how someone can be excited about the church in one season, but they can take it or leave it the next season. I've watched people who once could hardly contain themselves in worship, but somehow they end up losing the joy and they end up standing there like a, like a knot on a log. And, and, and as I referred to last week, they're pushing away from the table, pushing away. I've seen people who are our biggest fans on social media. They would tweet sermon quotes, they would post video clips of the band, they would attend church events and they would tag their church family and friends in the pictures. But somewhere along the way, if we're not careful, that enthusiasm wears off. And so what happens? How do you lose interest in something that means so much to you, that means so much to your family? How does it happen? Because some of you in the room right now, you're like, really? That, that really happens? It happens. And you've got to do something to avoid that. And I believe the answer on why that happens is one simple word. Weariness. Weariness. When people get tired, they lose sight of what really matters. It's the reason why some people walk away from a great job is because they become weary in that job and they lose sight of what really matters. It's the reason why some people walk away from relationships or, 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 or commit adultery in their relationships is because they become weary and they lose sight of what really matters. And, and here's what I know, the church matters. Destiny Community Church, listen to me. The church matters. It matters so much that Jesus Christ gave his life for it. Ephesians 5 and 25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's us. He loves the church, and if he loved the church enough to die for it, what does it do to his hearts when Christians devalue the church? I know I'm preaching to the choir. Because you're here today. Obviously church is important to you, right? You're here. How do you keep it that way? How do you keep that fire lit? The definition of weary is physically or mentally exhausted by hard work, exertion, strain, fatigued, tired. But I really want to focus on the second definition. Impatient. dissatisfied with something that when you are weary you are impatient or dissatisfied with something church listen to me weariness it neutralizes excitement it assassinates all hope and it erases enthusiasm when you become weary when you are impatient or dissatisfied with something excitement, enthusiasm, it fades away. And weariness is the enemy of what God wants to do in your life. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read this morning from Mark chapter 10. In just a few moments, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 9. As you're turning to mark chapter 10 here we find one of the most honest conversations that takes place in all of the bible because it's what's really going on in our hearts it's something that each and every one of us have had to battle we've we've all had to battle it at some point in time and it's a feeling that we we've either had we have or we will have because here's what i know about each person in this room we all want to be recognized we all want to be appreciated And we all want to be viewed as valuable. Maybe you're not a public person. Maybe you don't want that publicly, but you want that privately. You want to be recognized, you want to be appreciated, and you want to be valued. And that's the conversation that's happening right here between Jesus and two of his disciples. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two of his disciples, they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus for privilege. These two men, along with the other disciples, had already served the kingdom of God faithfully. Like so many people that I've witnessed through the years, I've grown up in church. This is all that I know. Being a pastor's son, now being a pastor, I've only known church my whole life. And I have seen some of the greatest servants become disillusioned in what being a part of a church really is and what it really means. Watch some of the people that have done some of the greatest things for the kingdom of God lose interest in the church itself and these men james and john and the other disciples they had already been a part and been used by god to move his kingdom forward in some many great ways uh, jesus had already sent them out in pairs two by two i'm sure james and john the brothers i'm sure they were going out together in this and he sent them out in pair, pairs and they they preach repentance And they they casted out demons and and, and they healed the sick. And then they came back and reported back to Jesus what they had done. These men had already been a part of of faithfully organizing a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children into smaller groups and then feeding them bread and fish. A great accomplishment. And then just a few chapters later they do it again with 4,000 people. These were moments of true humility with these men. They had servants' hearts. But from time to time, pride would creep in. And that's what we have to guard against. Because the enemy of your soul, Lucifer, Satan himself, that's what his his downfall was. When you get into it and you start studying, and I don't have time today to get into all of it, the Bible says that when, when Lucifer was the worship leader of heaven... That as he stood up high, as he stood up high, he was adorned with, with every gem that you could think of. Some scholars describe it that when the light of Jesus would hit him, he would look like a disco ball. He was reflecting the light of Christ. The problem with him is he no longer wanted to reflect Christ, he wanted to be Christ. Pride. Why would I lead someone else to worship you When they could be worshiping me. And pride gets in the way. And it is the trap that the enemy sets for each and every believer. And especially those of you that serve in the church. He wants pride to take over. He wants you to become like him. And on this particular day they are fighting for a title. Because to sit beside an earthly king. It was a place of honor. And it was denoting special trust and relationship with the king. And they wanted this. James and John wanted this. To sit at the right hand of the king meant that you acted with his authority. Those who came to you would treat you with respect and obedience as if you were the king yourself. So sure, when pride starts rising up, that's exactly what you want. And James and John, they're just fighting for position, but it wasn't just James and John. It was all of them. We know this from Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, verse 33, it says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? So apparently the disciples are following Jesus, and there's this whispering. There's a lot of chatter going on. Trust me, as a pastor, when I see someone, you know, just over there whispering in someone's ear, pulling someone off, off to the side, and, and, and when that chatter starts, the red flags go up. That's exactly what Jesus was seeing. The chatter was happening. He says, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on their way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and servant of all. Remember what I told you. Jesus was trying to put the kingdom in them. Changing a worldly mindset. Just a short time later, Jesus would exemplify servanthood as he would get up from the dinner table at the Last Supper. And the Bible says that he would gird himself with the towel and would become a servant to them and would begin washing their feet. One of the most powerful sermons I ever preached in my life was a Sunday when I had Josh Bryant come up on the stage and I washed his feet. Jesus would go around to each one of those disciples and he would wash their feet and they would say why Master why why are you doing this? To be great You have to become the least To rule and reign you have to become a servant And it turns the whole concept of what it means to be great In our minds, it turns it upside down. It's not the same principles that the world teaches you. That to be great, you've got to step on everybody on your way up the corporate ladder. Jesus said, no. That's not how you become great. You become great by serving people as you're promoted in the kingdom of God. I've never once asked for a promotion. In the secular workforce... Or in the church I've never once asked for a promotion God has always been faithful but something that I learned at an early age at 17 years old I learned I have got to serve to be great in the kingdom of God you've got to serve let me tell you something the towel will always be greater than the title. We want the title. Church, listen to me. Be very careful of leaders that demand a title. People have asked me many times, what what do we call you? And I know, I know there's moments where Pastor Rocky is, is appropriate. I know that. But if you don't, it's not necessary. I don't need my ego stroked. It's respectful at times. You know, technically, it's taken me years, but I'm a bishop. I hate that term. But I am. I'm a bishop. My father was a bishop, or is a bishop. It makes me a son of a bishop. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Truth be told, you can go online before you walk out of this service. Get your smartphone out. You could find a right website for probably around 1995. You could become an ordained minister before you walk out of this room. If you have no integrity at all and you don't care who you're licensed with, you could become an ordained minister before you walk out of this room. There comes a point in time when you've just got to be willing to lay the, the title aside and gird up the towel and say, "You know what?" I'm here to serve, not to be served. My staff will tell you, I have told every one of them when I hired them. I'm not hiring you to come and serve me, I'm I'm hiring you to come and serve with me. I'm not exempt from this. And the towel will always be more important than the title. I love, I love this quote. I don't know where I got it from. I've said it before. It says, serving will get you into rooms that titles cannot get you into. Just ask the maid at Buckingham Palace. Jesus was willing to shed the title of rabbi. That's how everybody knew him, not just his disciples. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher of the law. He was a rabbi. He was willing to lay down the title of rabbi. He was even willing to lay down the title of lordship. That's how his disciples knew him. He was willing to lay down the title of lordship. Why? Because it's something that we refer to as a Philippians 2 attitude. Where Paul writes in Philippians 2, Let this mind which was in Christ Jesus also be in you, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, though he did not consider it something to be grasped. You hear that? Jesus knew he was God, but chose not to grab hold of it. Why? Because he chose to take on the form of of humanity and empty himself and become a servant is what Philippians 2 tells us. That's the mindset that we have to have, that Philippians 2 attitude. Let that mind which was in Christ Jesus also be in me. But you see, a a, a title can be more than than a name that you want people to call you. It it, it can be that mindset. It's more like an entitlement is what it is. And and after all of these years, surely James and John deserve to sit at his right hand and his left hand. After all they had done for the kingdom of God, you can at least do this for us, Jesus. Church, listen to me. Be careful. Be careful. Entitlement will cause you to lose sight of his kingdom and and it will cause you to become more focused on your kingdom. And your kingdom will not change one life, it doesn't have the ability, it doesn't have the power to change a life. But I wanted the Ruth Award. I deserve it. I should have gotten the Nehemiah Award. I deserve it. Why did she get the Timothy Award? That's for me. Priscilla and Aquila? Who would pick them? That's for us. But I deserve the solo in the Christmas production. It's my favorite. But I deserve a break. It's someone else's turn. And it's not biblical. We never take a break from serving. That's why he gave us us the Sabbath rest. So we replenish and we come right back and we serve again. Something that I had to learn around 17 years old is that I had to alter my ego by laying my ego on the altar. I cannot function in the kingdom of God as long as my ego is rising up inside of me. D.L. Moody once said, there are many of us willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. And, And so how do we do this church? How do we keep the excitement of serving his kingdom alive? 11 years later, How do we as a church keep the enthusiasm and the excitement alive inside of us after 11 vacation Bible schools, 11? How many of you have been a part of all 11 vacation Bible schools? Raise your hand. Patrick, I know you have. I have a picture of you with little little kids following behind you, and my son's one of them. 11 vacation Bible schools, 11 Easter extravaganzas. Twelve family fest, six annual serve days next week will be seven, 11 Christmas worship experiences, 586 Sundays as a church, 480 of them as a portable church, but who's counting? Hundreds of snotty noses and babies' hineys wiped, and thousands of blue metal chairs set out over these 11 years. How do we do it? How do we keep the excitement and the enthusiasm? Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Would you just say those words to the person next to you? Say, let us not grow weary of doing good. Come on, turn to the person next to you on the other side and say it. Say, let us not grow weary of doing good. You know, serving the kingdom of God is doing good. You know that, right? Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, listen to what Paul says. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm about to mess some of you up right now because when you choose not to be involved in the church body and you are spending all of your time doing good in the community and you're never serving the church family, you're missing an opportunity. That that Paul said, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me explain it to you like this, and and I'm I'm almost done. We're we're closing this right now. You've got to take care of this body before you can take care of somebody else. It's it's like when you're on a a jetliner. What do they tell you? When the oxygen mask falls, make sure that you put your oxygen mask on first before you help anyone else, before you assist anyone else. You've got to take care of this body before you can take care of anybody else i am useless to my family if i am dead don't you cheat on your church family in an effort to reach the loss don't do it serve the body of christ and reach the loss together you're not called to be a lone ranger in this you will burn out you will not make it But when you serve the kingdom of God, he's called us to serve it together. Corinthians, Paul likens it to a real life body. He says, You know, some of you, you're the hand. Some of you, you're the nose. You're the eyes. You're the ears. Some of you, you're the leg. We don't get it, do we? I like the way Francis Chan said it. He said, "Some of you are are like the gallbladder." He said, "We really don't know what you do, but you're just going to blow up and kill all of us." (laughs) Don't be the gallbladder. Be a part of the body of Christ. Now I know a moment like this, it is it is very convicting, especially if you're not serving. One of our children's leaders was with Jennifer at, our, at a conference just a couple of weeks ago, and I hope you don't mind, but Rachel, you shared this at the conference. It was mentioned that Andy Stanley stood up in his church and stated, if you've been here for two years and you're not serving somewhere, maybe you should find a new church because we don't know how to help you grow. It's easy for a pastor of 36,000 people in multiple locations to say. I'm not saying that. I was just (laughs) quoting him. The point is this. If you're not serving the body of Christ, you're not growing. If you're not serving the body of Christ, you're not becoming what God desires for you to be. Because he intends for us to be a part of the body and the best place for you to serve the body The best opportunity as Paul mentioned in Galatians is in the local church setting We build the body here And then next Sunday we get to go out and be the body out there That's what this is about Church don't grow weary in well-doing We've come a long way since 15 people. There's been many lives that have been changed because of this church and the faithfulness of the people of this church and the faithfulness of God and His grace and mercy operating through us. Don't don't grow weary in well-doing. In due season you will reap a harvest. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.